0: Well, very exciting uh, weekend for our church. We had close to 150 youth and uh, children that we either reached out to uh, at our Impact Fifth Quarter uh, celebration that we had on uh, Friday night, and then we had Christmas with Santa yesterday. So there were many lives. Uh, that we were able to impact and change, and so uh, we're excited uh, about that. Um, Very interesting seating today. We have a huge section right here, and then it just kind of changes a little bit. Maybe the air is like over there or something, but we turned the air down, so you'll, you'll warm up here in just a second. Just hug somebody beside you, if you know them. If you don't, don't touch them, okay? We're not trying to get dates for people today. Um, How many of you have ever had uh, someone borrow something from you and that low-down, good-for-nothing, pathetic jerk never returned what you borrowed to them? Okay? How many of you have ever had that? Okay? That looks like the majority of us have experienced that before. Okay? Yeah, they... You uh, said, hey, you can borrow it. They borrowed it. They never returned it. Okay, now let's do the flip side. Uh, how many of you low down, no good, pathetic jerks have ever borrowed something? Look at the confession that is going on in this place right now, right? Yeah, some of you have something of somebody else right now, don't you? And you're like, ah, he caught me, okay? Now, this is what I found that is very interesting, though is that most of the time, uh, those kind of low-down, no-good, pathetic jerks, um, they go to other churches, right? And uh, they're the ones that borrow stuff from us. And then, you know, there are only a few of us low-down, no-good, pathetic jerks that actually confess today that, you know, uh, we've borrowed something and not returned it. Well, I was thinking about it uh, this week, that, Isn't it very interesting? And I find this uh, all the time that it's very easy for us to point out when other people hurt us. But it's much more difficult to admit when we've hurt other people. Last week, we talked about forgiving other people who have hurt us. But. Today, what I want to talk about is something that is much more difficult, and that is reaching out to people that we have hurt. And that's the question I want to ask you this morning. Who is it that you love, that you care about, that you've hurt? And today, what we're going to try to learn from Jesus is how we can apply his teachings to make those things right. Right. Now, the scripture that we're going to look at is in Matthew chapter 5, and this is Jesus' most famous teaching, his most famous sermon that that he ever gave, the Sermon on the Mount. And in chapter 5, verses 23 to 25, there are three verses here that can be life-changing. If you take these verses and you apply them to your lives, you can heal almost any broken relationship that there is. And Jesus started it out this way. He said this. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. And if you would, I'd like you to... Uh, circle that phrase. If you have your program, uh, just pull it out. There's a teaching outline. If you need one, just raise your hand. Somebody will get one to you. But in there, it says come to terms quickly. If you could circle that phrase, come to terms. How do you come to terms? Quickly, quickly. And you can see that there is a sense of urgency that Jesus has when it comes to broken relationships. It's as if he's saying, if you're going to worship, and you're driving, and you realize that you've hurt someone, that you've offended somebody else, you should stop and turn the car around and make things right before you come here. Settle these matters quickly. When I was, uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when I was in uh, elementary school, I was a bus monitor. Now, they only selected the most important children to do this job. And so I was a bus monitor, and basically what that meant was uh, I, you know, was kind of a tattletale on the rest of the, uh, yeah, okay, look, see, we have one. And uh, I would write down, you know, kind of what was going on, you know, that I saw on the bus. And then also, um, I was the person who went to the back of the bus and would open up the emergency door and would help children, you know, to come off the bus. And I was good at this. In fact, I could clear that bus faster than any other could, any other kid at Roseburg Elementary School. I mean, kids didn't even make it to the ground. They just wham, you know, straight down on their head. They just kind of rolled out. But in our training... Uh, I I was not only a bus monitor, but I was kind of like a junior fire marshal. In fact, we have, uh, you know, fire uh, fighters here. And because of my wealth of experience, they come to me and they ask me things all the time uh, because of what I can do. And so uh, one of the things I remember in that training, maybe you learned this too, I don't know, maybe some of you were bus monitors, But if your your clothes catch on fire, you're supposed to do three things. And those three things are what? Anybody know? Oh, some of you were bus monitors too. I can tell. Good. Yeah. Stop, drop, and roll. Now, today we're not going to exactly use those three words. But we're going to look at three words that if you plant these into your heart... That you will really be able to make things right with people in your life. And Jesus is, going to, uh, is giving us three key principles on how to seek forgiveness from other people. And here's the three. Stop, drop, and give. In fact, let's say that out loud together. Okay? On three: one, two, three. Stop, drop, and give. Now, if you're taking notes, this is the very first thing. If you're trying to seek forgiveness from another person, and it's this. You stop... And you acknowledge those that you've hurt. You have to actually stop and take an inventory of those that you've hurt. Now folks, this is not going to be an easy thing to do. It's not going to be easy at all. But today, we're going to stop and listen to God and try to make things right with the people around us. And so you have to ask yourself the hard question. Who is it that you've hurt in your life? This is what Jesus said again in verses 23 and 24. He said, so when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar. In other words, he says, stop whatever you're doing and deal with the issue Right now. Have you ever had this experience before where you're at Walmart or you're at the mall and you're walking around getting items and you're kind of in a grouchy mood? You really don't want to talk to anybody. You don't want to look at anyone and you look across the way and you have eye contact with someone that you know. And you look at that person, and immediately you kind of like put your eyes down. You start thinking, okay, I'll go in a different aisle. You try to avoid this person no matter what because you just don't want to socialize. You don't want to talk to anybody else. How many of you have ever done that before? Okay, anyone? Okay. The rest of you are liars because we know. Now, on the flip side, this is what I want you to know. There are often times that other people see you too, and they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to see you. They don't want to connect with you. They try to avoid you at all costs because they know you're going to talk to them, and they don't feel like talking to you. Now, here's the point. Sometimes we will avoid people at all costs, and families, specifically, sometimes will avoid issues in their lives at all costs. They'll do whatever they can to avoid the issue. I mean, it's amazing, especially during holiday times, that we can have this incredible relational pain. Some of you are sitting there right now. You have some relational pain in your life, and you're going to go through another holiday season And often, you'll just pass it by. You'll say, I'm not going to deal with it. For instance, in families, folks, there are sometimes that there are some very, very serious issues. There may be someone in your family right now who has an eating disorder. Everybody knows it. Everybody understands it. Everybody sees it. But we just pretend that if we don't confront it, It'll just go away. Other times, the issues are a chemical dependency issue. Alcoholism can be a huge family secret that everyone has. So, and so has this problem. They've had this problem forever. And what do we do as a family? We just cover it up. We cover it up so no one gets exposed, but everybody knows that the person is struggling big time. For some families, everything appears very great on the outside. Financially, they're good. Nice car, nice house, nice kids. Mom and dad, they're working all the time. But if you peel back a layer, what you would see is that their children are being neglected. No one is spending any time with them, investing in them, building them up. But mom and dad are buying them all kinds of stuff. And when it comes to Christmas, they'll have everything that they want. But the thing that the kid wants the most is for mom and dad to invest in their life. Yesterday, uh, our Santa Claus that we had, he said this happens every single time. But out of the hundred or so kids that came through, there were three kids that came up and said, I just wish my mom and dad were back together. And some of you know what that's like. You've gone through a divorce. You've gone through the pain. You know what the blending looks like. And it can look all great on the outside, but sometimes we can neglect those that we love the most. What do we do? We just go down a different aisle. We avoid the person. We avoid the issue that everyone knows about. I see this in Christian families as well. Sometimes they'll walk into church, they'll be holding hands, smiling at each other. And everything looks great. And they'll have their big honking Bible that they're carrying with them too. And from the outside, everything looks so spiritual. They look spiritual. Why do they do this? Because they think that's what spiritual families do. You just fake it until you make it. And if you never make it, you just stay a fake your whole life. But behind the scenes, rather than seeing Christ followers, what you often see is some of the most judgmental people that you've ever seen in your life. People who always are putting someone else down. That there's verbal abuse going on in the house all the time. And sometimes it's worse than that. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's sexual abuse. I mean, beneath the facade of all the Christian needs that they can put out there, they're not dealing with the real issues that hit their family. And so Christmas, maybe more than any other time during the year, is where we like to play games. We go to family events, and we're nicey-nicey and polite to everybody, and we're just hoping that there's nothing controversial that's going to happen or be said this year. And we just talk about surface issues. Basically, deep down inside, when we go across some of the people who are closest to us, in our minds we're thinking, I don't like you, you don't like me, let's just get through Christmas one more time. Joy to the world. And the relationships, what happens is, and I see this all the time, It's just year after year after year, and relationships stay on hold, or they even start going back further, and there's no growth happening in that. But surely, surely this is not what God would want. Surely this is not what God had in mind when He sent His one and only Son who left heaven to come to earth. Surely that wasn't what He was hoping for, is that families would just survive And what's the main problem? Now, this is generally true. Not always true, but generally true. Typically, how do we judge other people? We judge other people by one thing the way that we judge other people, we judge other people by their actions. We judge other people by their actions. But when it comes to ourselves, how do we judge others? How do we judge ourselves? We judge other people by their actions. How do we judge ourselves? We judge ourselves, not by our actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions. By our intentions. Why? Because we really know what's inside our heart. We're like, well, I really meant to do this, or I I was planning on doing this. And, and, And so you give yourself the grace that you don't give to anybody else. For instance, some of you in this room have borrowed books from me before. I figured there are about 50 books that I've given out to people here in the church. And you have not returned them. Hint, hint. Just uh, throwing it out there. And I will judge you by your actions. I did a nice deed. I I gave you a book and you've not returned my book. On the flip side, though, let's say that I borrow a book from you. I don't judge myself by my actions. The fact that I haven't returned it in three months, what do I do? I judge by my intentions. Well, I had good intentions to get it back, and I plan on doing it. I mean, it's only been three months, bunch. Why are you freaking out? You know, I'll get it back to you. It's not that big a deal. Therefore, I will judge myself then by my intentions, but not by my actions. This is my real prayer for some of you today. Is that you would open yourself up to God's spirit enough. That you would allow him to grab your heart and say, nope, this is somebody you've hurt. This is someone that you did wrong. And you need to stop and acknowledge that you've hurt someone else. Now, for some of you, you might say, well, who is it? Who is that? And for some of you, it's your spouse. You've said something, you've done something, maybe on the way here even. You just need to make it right. For others of you, if you stopped long enough, you'd say, nope, it's my mom or it's my dad or it's my brother or it's my sister or it's my son or it's my daughter. And you need to go to them, and you need to say, I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry. I want to go into Christmas having this thing behind us, so I'm sorry. For others of you, maybe it's a friend, a really good friend that you've invested life in, but things were said and done, and you did some hurtful stuff, and you need to be the one that goes to them. I had to do something a couple of weeks ago that was very, very difficult for me those of you that know me really well, you know that I love my wife. She's the best. She makes me better in so many different ways, and I love my girls. But I don't know why it was, but through most of the month of November, I would be so kind and loving to all of you church people, and be so nicey-nice, and patient, and understanding, and Sometimes when you are not very patient sometimes, folks. I I was still patient. But then all of a sudden it was like I remember crossing into the door frame of our house and I would walk in and I just kind of became the grouch. Kind of became a grinch. Now these are the people that are the most important to me, that I love the most. But through the month of November it just wasn't going so well. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, at the end of November, Jen came up to me and she goes, you know what, you just haven't been very warm lately. Now, typically I would be defensive. I'd be like, you don't think I'm warm. I'll show you how hot I can be right now, you know. You can talk about warm. But I didn't. something within my spirit, I I slowed down enough, and I felt like God's spirit said, Chris, she's right. She's right. And I went to her right then. I said, Jen, you know, you're right. I just haven't been kind. I've had a loud voice. I've been critical. I've had a bad tone. I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry. I want to change. And one of the things I decided to do was we have a little step that goes into our house from the garage. And I get on my knees before I walk into that house and Just for 20 seconds, I go, God, I want to be the man. I want to be the husband. I want to be the father that you want me to be when I walk through these doors. And for the last two weeks, it has been amazing. But folks, that would have never happened. It would have never, ever happened if I hadn't stopped and thought, you're right. I'm hurting some of the people that I love the most. Maybe there's somebody that you need to go to and simply say, I'm sorry. I hurt you. Now, this whole marriage thing, though, can be a very, very weird deal. Some of you are like going, oh, good job, preacher boy. Glad you get on your knees, you know. Woo. Doesn't work with my marriage. She doesn't like me, she's mean, she's nasty, I've done everything. It just is not changing. Whatever I try, nothing changes with him or with her. And there are kind of weird things that happen in marriage. For example, when you get into a fight when you're married, And you go to bed, there's a rule. I don't know where we got the rule from. I don't know how it came about, but there's a rule. If you get into bed, you never face the person face to face. It's always back to back. In other words, they're facing one way, you're facing the other way. Both of you are looking at walls, and you're happy that you're looking at a wall. And it's what you do. And then you don't talk to anybody. And then you play this game long enough until finally, if this happens, it's almost over. If someone else's body part in, it could be a toe. If that toe touches the other person, it is over. The other person could be like, oh, you think you're getting some tonight? You ain't even getting a toe tonight, you know? I don't even want to see your toe near me. Get that toe away. People were like, rip that toe. I've seen Jen take a, you know, uh, uh, pillows across the room before with a toe. Don't touch me. So then you're like, I'll start the silent game. So you're quiet. You don't talk to each other. And finally, someone says something sarcastic like this. Are you going to act like this the rest of your life? Oh, some of you act like maybe you've experienced this before. I I was just making this up, you know. No experience, but. And then it's like on like Donkey Kong. And folks, this is what I want to say. It's a very sad thing for that to happen. And it doesn't have to happen. Because you can make things right. Right now, today, tonight before you go to bed, you can make a row. Right. So for some of you, maybe it's your marriage, and some of you are sitting there and going, Ah, you keep talking about marriage. I'm not married. Maybe it's with a boyfriend, maybe it's with a girlfriend. No, it's not with any of those. Maybe it's your parents. You haven't talked to your parents, you haven't connected with your parents. You've been holding something against them. Maybe it's a brother, maybe it's a sister. I don't know who that person is, but you might just have to stop and acknowledge that I've hurt someone else, and I need to make things right. The second thing that uh, we do, first of all, we stop. The second thing that we do is that we drop. We are going to drop everything and make things right. We're going to drop everything and make it right. Listen to the urgency that Jesus has in verse 24. He says this, leave your gift there before the altar. He says, don't even give your gift. Just leave it there and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser. Can you sense the urgency? Can you imagine when we pass the little bag and you're getting ready to put your gift in, all of a sudden there's like this mass exodus from the jar because there are people who are like, I can't even give this gift until I go make things right with somebody else. And the urgency is exactly that. Jesus said before you give a gift that you would leave. And parents, you get this. Uh, sometimes your kids get hurt. And when they're little and your kids get hurt, you drop everything and you zoom right to them to try to help them out. And even when they're, whether they're three or whether they're 30 and your child is hurting, you will leave whatever you can to go and make sure that things are right. This past fall, uh, my oldest daughter, Jordan, she was uh, at soccer practice and I went and I was watching her. And uh, if you've ever been a soccer parent, sometimes that can be kind of boring So you always have other activities that you're doing, you know, while they're practicing. And I looked down at my phone for some reason, and immediately I heard this smack, scream, cry. And I looked up immediately, and it wasn't Jordan, but it was one of her little friends. And this is what had happened. The other team that they were scrimmaging against, one of their players kicked the ball into her nose and immediately blood just started coming all over the place. Had blood everywhere. And I don't know what got into me, but I'm sitting there and I see this happen and I get out of my chair and I run into the middle of the game to try to help this little girl. And the coach is like bringing them over. And then I have no idea what came to my mind. But I started thinking I was a medical professional and I said, no joke, this is what I said. I go, do you have a first aid kit? And the coach, you know, is this college student from Ball State and she's like, oh yeah, Uh, do you know how to handle things? I'm like, I can handle it. And I go to this first aid kit and I open it up and I look and I think, I have no clue what I'm doing. I start picking out gauze and bandages. I'm doing everything. The coach goes back because she thinks she has a medical professional now helping this kid. I've got stuff. I'm wrapping, putting it all together, shoving it up in her nose. I mean, whatever we can do to stop the bleeding, I tried. And it succeeded. Folks, once I heard the scream... Immediately, I dropped everything that I could and I ran to try to help this little girl and to comfort her. Just that urgent feeling that somebody else was in need, and I ran to try to help her. Now, here's the point there are some relationships in your life in which people are screaming right now. They're screaming. And they might be audible. They may be what I call a silent scream. A silent scream where someone doesn't say what's going on, but inside they're like, I don't want to have to deal with this. I don't want anyone to look at this. And are you going to ignore that forever? Some of you have relationships that over the holidays you're going to walk by and you're going to be like, ah oh, man, this again? Are we going to pretend that this isn't happening, that this goes on forever and ever? Will anybody talk to them? Why can't we plow through the pain, as difficult as it might be in the short term, so that we can have long-term healing? That we could actually go to a person and say, I love you enough not to just leave it on the sides anymore. I love you. We've got to work through this. And for some of us, we need to drop everything and to go and to make sure that things are made right. During college, I was very, very far from God. And uh, I was very destructive in my behaviors. And my destructive behavior started to not only affect me, but it started to affect the people around me as well. And there was one particular girl during college that the way I treated her and the way I acted, it was so just horrible. And before we started Celebrate Recovery, which, by the way, Celebrate Recovery happens on Thursdays at 7 o'clock. So if you have a hurt habit or hang-up, if you're dealing with some of these issues with family right now, you need to go there. This is not just about substance abuse. This is about any hurt in your life that you can get healed from. But before we started Celebrate Recovery, Chuck Mock and myself, he and I went through every single step. We took a whole year, just he and I, going through all the steps so that we could be healed and be made ready for what God would do through the program. And when we got to step nine, this is what step nine says. Make amends whenever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. And after I read that, I just stopped and then I dropped and I was like, man, I've got to make things right with this girl. So I went to my wife, Jennifer, and I shared with her kind of what I was thinking about doing. And because she's a very secure woman in herself, she's like, you're right. You need to make things right. You need to take care of this. Well, I had not not talked to this girl Uh, for, I don't know, 20 years, 15, 20 years. And so Google's an amazing thing. And I Googled her name, and uh, I kind of found out where she was. And guess where she was? She was the director of a department at Ball State University. Now, I'm praying at that point, oh, God, I was hoping that she would be in another state or another country or somewhere very, very far away. But, oh, no, you've got to bring her right to Ball State. And she isn't like just a little peon Ball State person, okay? Like she oversees this whole large department. Thank you, God, you know? And so immediately I thought, you know, this is a sign. I've got to take care of this. So I emailed her and again, I'm praying. I hope it gets lost in the email. I remember praying that seriously. Like, God, please just let it go. You know, get it spammed out. Hey, I tried. I did my best. Oh, no, 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 no. She got it. Responded right back to me. No problem whatsoever. So I walk into uh, her office, and she has this administrative assistant and other assistants, and, you know, I'm already feeling kind of weird about the whole thing, and pastor boy's coming in here, and here's Bigwig, you know, and I walk in, and, you know, she's very high profile, and I sit down, and finally the admin assistant comes in, and she says, well, now the big wig will see the uh, peon pastor, you know, and uh, come on in. Not exactly, but that's what I thought she said. And I walked into her office, and I'm feeling just kind of over it. And, you know, there's these nice pleasantries. And finally, I was just like, all right, just do it. And I said, well, I just wanted to apologize. I don't know if you remember, but during college, you know, this and that. And I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? Now, at this point, I'm thinking that she's going to be like, oh, absolutely. I don't even remember what happened back then, you know. And I'm thinking this is going to be a nice, easy way to kind of get out of it. But she didn't. She said this, and I wrote it down because I wanted to remember it. Your actions hurt me really bad. My dad left our family, and I was always searching for his love. Then some guys came into my life, and I tried to find love through them, and they hurt me even worse. Finally, I found you and thought you would never do that, and you did. You hurt me, and you threw me away like a piece of trash. Ouch. You're like, oh. So I remember being there, I'm like, Holy Spirit, I have no clue what to do right now. This lady might kill me at Ball State. I mean, this might be the end of it all. And I just felt again, maybe one wasn't enough. And I said, well, I just want you to know that I, I'm really, really sorry, and will you forgive me? And she said, yeah, I will. And she told me about she and her husband and that they had got connected to Christ and uh, that they had uh, worshipping here. I know the pastor who's their pastor. and We actually prayed together and we were done and we see each other now and there's not this weirdness and forgiveness and healing took place. Today, this is the thing, folks. Some of you need to make that call. You need to make things right with some people in your life that you've hurt. You can't go through another holiday and you can't go through another year without making things right. Maybe you just need to pray. God, would you give me the chance to go and to make things right with this person? Would you give me a chance to initiate forgiveness with whoever that is? God, would you just give me the chance? You pray for that and then you watch how God moves and he shows up and he just might be able to do something ...that gives you freedom. Now, all that being said, let me give you a little aside that's really, really important. So if you've been like counting lights or if you're like, man, I'm freezing still, you know, whatever that is, just kind of come back together, okay, just for a second. And this is what I want to say. If you've done something against someone or you've got something against someone and they don't know about it, they have no clue... They have no idea. Leave it alone. I mean, if you've been judging this person for a long, long time... And you're like, yeah, when she walked in here eight years ago, she thought she was this, and she thought she was that, and forget her, and I don't like her. Well, she doesn't have a clue that you've been thinking about this for eight years, so you need to keep that between you and God. You don't need to walk up to her and go, you know what, when you first came in here, I thought you was a trampy old thing, and you came in here acting like this and that and the other thing, but you're not too bad, actually, and I uh, just wanted to ask you, will you forgive me? No! That's like sometimes people, they'll come to church here for a while and then they'll come up to me and they'll, they'll, they'll have been angry and they'll have not been very happy with whatever, but they keep coming to church and then finally they'll come up and they'll go, you know what, I really didn't like you four years ago, but after a while you kind of, you know, it's not so bad now. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. I've had that happen before. What are you supposed to say at that point, you know? No clue. No clue. So if the other person doesn't even know that you've been carrying all this stuff, if it's going to hurt or injure anybody else, folks, you need to keep that between you and God. If something is inside of you that you've internalized against somebody else, don't go and create a wound just so you can put medicine in it. You ever see that happen before? Somebody drug something up and cut somebody else, but they're like, now I'm going to apply some medicine. No, that's between you and God. You need to keep that to you guys. But if you've wounded somebody, if you've hurt somebody else, go and grab that opportunity and stop and acknowledge what that is. And then drop everything that you have and to make it right. And if you do this, you will experience a freedom like you've never had before. Now, some of you might be asking the question, well, how do you do that? Like, how do you actually do that? How do you reconcile a relationship that's broken? Well, here's the first thing. You need to go to that person face-to-face. If you've broken a relationship, how do you reconcile it? We're going to go face-to-face. You don't text it. You don't tweet it. You don't send it out via Facebook going, hey, by the way, I know I hurt you, but hey, will you forgive me? No. No. If at all possible, if at all possible, you go face to face with that person, as uncomfortable as it might be. That's how Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, came to a guy named Peter, who was Jesus' right hand man. And when Paul had an issue with him, he didn't go off and say something. He went directly to him. The Bible says this in Galatians two eleven. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his. What's it say? His face, because he was clearly in the wrong. You do it face to face. Now, there's two things that you'll want to say. And these words are very, very important. Now, if you're genuinely feeling this in your heart, don't just go do this because Bunch said it. But if you feel bad about whatever you did, then this is what you need to say. You simply say this, I'm sorry I hurt you. I just want you to know, I'm sorry I hurt you, period. Don't add anything to it. What I find all the time is that people add things to their sorry. I'm sorry I hurt you, but remember, during that time, you were kind of a jerk. Every time you put the word but in the sentence, you negate everything that was before that sentence. I'm sorry that I hurt you, but I was going through something in my life during that time, and it was hard. Fine. You were going through some hard stuff. You still hurt the other person. I'm sorry I hurt you, period. No excuse. You say nothing else. Second thing, will you forgive me? I'm sorry I hurt you. Will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? I don't deserve it. I'm offering everything to you. I'm coming at your feet and I'm saying, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And you do it face to face. The second thing that's very, very important too in this whole process is not only do you do it face to face, but secondly, you do your part and you trust God to do his part. You do your part and then you trust God to do the rest. Now, if you go and you offer an apology to somebody else and you say that you're sorry, there's kind of three things that I think might come back at you. The first response, if you go and you say you're sorry, the person might be like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. Dude, we're good. There's no problem. You and I, we are cool. The second thing is if you go and you give this kind of response, they may actually go, you know what? I do remember it, but I forgive you. I forgive you. But the third thing that just might happen is this. You might give your apology and the person will be like, forget you. You did hurt me and it's your fault and I can't even believe you showed your face. I want nothing to do with you. Get out. Don't ever talk to me again. You may get that. So you have to acknowledge that before you go into the apology. That it's not about the other person. It's about you. Folks, you have to understand that you cannot control what other people do. You cannot control how they're going to respond. All you can do is own up to your part. The Bible says this in Romans twelve eighteen. It says, if it is possible. In other words, when something starts off with an if, it means that it might not be possible. But if it is possible, as far as it depends upon you, live at peace with everyone. Folks, sometimes peace is not possible. Not because you're not doing the right steps, but because the other person does not want peace. You give it all you got, but at the end, people are not ready to take that step. But you do your best, and you do what you've been called to do. The key word there is the word Everyone. To be at peace with everyone. So the jerk that cuts you off and you want to flip them off, you're to be at peace with them. And the person who is a coworker who took credit for all of your work that you did, and now the boss thinks they're the greatest thing, you're like, that was my idea. You're at peace. With the neighbor who drives you crazy because of the weird things that they do. But this is who it also includes. Your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your aunt, your uncle, your weird grandpa, whoever it is, you make things right. So we're going to stop, we're going to drop, and then finally we're going to give. What are we going to give? We are going to give your heart and your gifts to God. You are going to give your heart. And your gifts to God. Again, verse 24 in Matthew 5. It says this. First, be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift to the Lord. Romans twelve eleven says this. In view of God's mercy... In other words, in view of his mercy, in view of his forgiveness, in view of the things that you don't deserve, that you haven't earned, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is how you are to worship, he says. This is your spiritual act of worship. Now, what is Jesus saying? What is this scripture saying? He's basically saying this. You've got one thing that matters. You've got one thing that matters more than anything else. And the thing that matters the most is relationships. Your relationship with God and your relationship with other people. Those things matter more than anything else. Everything else is going to die in your life. It will go away. But there's only one thing that is eternal and that is relationships with other people. There are a lot of things we're told about what heaven is going to be like or not be like. The one thing I can guarantee is that there's going to be God and there's going to be people. And so you have to make sure that the relationship with God and the relationship with people is made right. One day some people came up to Jesus. They said, what is the most important command? And you remember what Jesus said? He said, you are to love God. God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, he says, your relationship with God is like really, really important. But then Jesus added a second thing, and he said, You are to love your neighbor as yourself. And why was teaching this? Why was Jesus teaching on this? Why was there such an urgency in his teaching? Why? Because he knew that the evil one would want to kill and still. And destroy the most important thing to God's heart. And the most important thing to God's heart. What is the most important thing to God's heart? It's relationships. It's you and your relationships. Now, I know you all like to get Christmas cards. And I wasn't able to send out Christmas cards to everybody. So last week, I gave you a Christmas card. Do you remember what the Christmas card was? That you were to forgive one person before Christmas. This is a nice Christmas card, wasn't it? Well, I just couldn't give you just one Christmas card. I had to give you two. So in your program, I'd like you to pull out this card right here. I have one right here. Just pull it out. And this is your second Christmas card. Last week I said it's about forgiveness, forgiving someone who's hurt you. This week it's about you going to someone that you've hurt. And it actually says, who have I hurt that I need to seek forgiveness from? And you can write down their name. So we're going to turn off the lights so that you have a moment to simply ask God, who is it in your life that you have hurt that you need to seek forgiveness from? And ask him. Don't ask me. And then whenever you're done, you can write that name down. Who is it? Is it your spouse? Is it a mom? Is it a dad? Is it a brother or sister? Is it someone in the church? But take a moment right now and ask yourself this question. Ask God to help you if you need help. Who have I hurt that I need to seek forgiveness from? And then write down their name. So take a moment right now, just between you and God. invite you to stand for closing prayer. And if before you even get to the parking lot if you need, need to, to seek forgiveness for someone, I, I pray that you would. And I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up and if you'd like prayer for anything, they would love to pray for you. So uh, if you have a prayer need just come up they do that maybe some of you you need the courage to actually go to somebody else and to seek prayer to seek forgiveness from that person say hey i'm sorry maybe you need some strength and courage to do that and so if you do emily will be up here to pray there'll be folks up here to pray and and so you can do that so let's pray God, you have done such an amazing thing in this church today. You've called us to make things right with at least one person. And I pray, God, that you would give us the courage now to take the step and to go to maybe a family member or a co-worker or a friend. And make things right this week, God. Not to go into Christmas knowing that we've hurt somebody and we never made it right. And we trust you, God, to help us to know how to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Hey, if today's your uh, first day here or you've been connecting with the jar a little bit, First Steps with Chris It's going to happen right after uh, this for about 15 minutes or so. Would love to meet you. Otherwise, have a great week and know that you're loved in this place. Thanks.